Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. All right, just going to clear up a few questions today. Uh, number one question that I got from the last podcast, the one where I talked about how I no longer train default impulse control, um, was that I did mention that I don't allow my dogs to just eat all the food that I'm training with during training. And a lot of you guys were confused about what that looks like, how that looks different from um, traditional kind of default impulse control training or it's your choice type games. Um, I had mentioned that I might cover a bowl of food and you're right, the act of covering the food is not different from closing my hand over a piece of cookie. I might do either of those acts during training to stop my dog from eating food um, that I don't want them to eat. The difference being I'm not covering the food, waiting for the puppy to act, to back off of the food, and then reinforcing that action um, by uncovering the food. Okay, so that's the difference. I just block them from the food the entire training session until they stop trying to get it. And during that entire training session, I'm marking and reinforcing other behaviors that have nothing to do with the bowl of food or the piece of food in my hand. Um... And so I hope that clears it up for you guys. I do this a lot in my puppy training with Watson, which again, um, you guys can see 
if you hop in on Puppy Elementary, but I'm also happy to do just a generalized video on this if you guys would like, but you'll have to tell me, um, ask me to do that over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and then that is also where I'll post it. I haven't done that yet because I want to make sure that everybody gets this information um, who wants it. So if you are over on the Facebook page and you would like to see a video like that, just comment on this podcast and I will get something recorded for you guys. So next thing, a couple of people, because I had mentioned that eating's an awkward behavior. I had mentioned that um, we need to keep that behavior strong in a variety of scenarios and that that's one reason that I don't use um, negative punishment procedures to curb um, unwanted eating in training sessions. And somebody had said, you know, their dog has never taken food in, um, you know, XYZ situations. I'm pretty sure the one situation that was brought up because I brought it up in the podcast as well was hurting, um, you know, a time where the people are working stock with their animals. And the answer, you guys, is that it's only important for the dog to take food if it's important for the dog to take food. If you have no intention of using food in that environment and the dog's not taking food, it's actually not a problem. Um, for me, I want my dogs taking food in all situations that I have them in because it is my most usable, effective reinforcer. It is the easiest reinforcer for me to use. So I work very hard to keep that behavior very strong in a variety of situations. I want the dog eating all the time. For instance, I've got a friend who's got, um, a field-bred Labrador who is really into critters, really into animals out in the world. He's really into squirrels, birds, etc. And um, she's had a really hard time curbing animal chasing behaviors or, or producing a recall behavior around those animals because he won't eat in most situations. So he will kind of only eat in his house from a bowl. Um, and she has not fostered eating as an operant behavior in this dog. And um, to be fair, she's a normal person. She's not a dog trainer. And she got him as a two-year-old. And he came with um, a poor kind of eating behavior when he got there. So this is nothing that she did or didn't do, really. It's just kind of is their situation is producing a lot of problems for them and it produces a lot of problems for a lot of people and I just hate having to back up and make my reinforcers a thing for my dog I like my reinforcers to just be a thing so to clarify if the dog um won't take food reinforcement in a situation where it's not important for them to take food reinforcement then I'm simply not worried about it But if we need them to take food reinforcement, and they won't, we now have to retrain eating as an operant behavior. And that is um, just not as easy as fostering eating in a species that should want to eat all the time, anytime, anyway. Um, Okay, so last little thing we're going to discuss is just about handling a reactive dog in the real world. Um, I talk about how I walk my dogs off leash all the time and I talk about how we do see other dogs um, and people sometimes out on the trail and 
how that used to stress me out and it doesn't stress me out anymore. Um, and people ask me questions all the time about that. You know, how did I change from being super stressed out and even angry about that to being really okay with it? And also, you know, that goes along with the question of how do we decompress a reactive dog? Dogs that bark and lunge at other dogs or maybe people um, out in the real world often need that decompression type exercise way more than anybody else, way more than the other dogs do. And they're the hardest dogs to get um, into that kind of exercise routine. So I'm just going to talk about a few tips because my dogs um, are not all perfect. One of my dogs is pretty reactive to other dogs and people if we meet them on the trails. One of my dogs used to be uh, very reactive and um, I think that we can help them better than most people are helping them by actually getting them this type of exercise because usually what most positive reinforcement dog trainers want you to do right off the bat is avoid the trigger. So avoid, avoid, avoid. And the fact of the matter is if you're always avoiding the trigger, what winds up happening is that you're just isolating your dog and nothing is probably getting better. So I can't tell you don't avoid the trigger if I don't tell you how to face those triggers. Of course, enough distance from the trigger so to where your dog doesn't have to have a reaction is ideal. Of course that's ideal. Um, I know as well as you do that that's not real life and that's why people avoid um, those circumstances. So first and foremost, um, breathing is really important. When you see, um, something that makes you a little bit nervous and you tense up and you stop breathing, your dog certainly notices that. And whether they notice it or not is less important than, um, whether it's helpful to you or not. And it's very helpful for us to actually practice mindful breath, mindful breathing in situations where we are a little bit nervous. So there's actually even apps for this right now. I have an app called Calm that's teaching me um, some breathing methods. There's a TED Talk on breathing for anxiety. So just search mindful breathing and you will actually find exercises that you can do and get fluent in those exercises um, and that's how you'll be able to access those skills when you see something makes you a little bit nervous. So next thing is that I want reactive dogs on a long line, um, if we're going to see people at all, so, or other dogs. So for the most part, they should be on a long line and you want to get really good at handling your long line. This is a problem that I see frequently is that, um, people get really tangled up in their long line or they don't know how to handle it. And, um, it's so important for that thing to not be a hindrance to you. And if the long line is a hindrance and you can't move well, you can't communicate well via the line, um, then it's not going to help you at all. So a couple resources for that. Grisha Stewart has some good, long line handling free videos on YouTube. Um, if you're not familiar with Grisha, she developed a training protocol called BAT, Behavior Adjustment Training. Um, 
and she is on YouTube just under her name, which is Grisha Stewart, and she's got, again, those long-line handling videos. Um, I also recommend getting in contact with a tracking person. If you know anybody who does tracking in your life, they tend to be the best long-line handlers of anybody that I know, because you're not allowed to actually direct the dog on the line in tracking, um, in AKC tracking, you actually have to use a 40-foot line, and the dog has to be at least 20 feet out. So you are allowing the dog 20 feet of line all the time, at least. And you've not only got to keep the thing from getting tangled in the brush, um, and tangled in your dog, and tangled in you, um, but you also might want to learn, you know, subtle communication signals on the line and things like that. And I learned some of my best long line handling information from... Um, a student of mine that taught me some tracking skills. So those are two really good resources for that. I would get really good with the long line so that you're really comfortable with the long line. And then I don't think this comes as a, as a surprise to anybody, but I really love muzzles. Um, I think that it would the world would just be a better place if all dogs were very comfortable wearing a basket muzzle. Um, so I would have these dogs in basket muzzles when it, when they're out on these walks whether they have a bite history or not because these behaviors these barky lungy behaviors these are aggressive behaviors these are pre-biting behaviors and so for us to say well he hasn't ever actually bitten therefore he doesn't need a muzzle is silly because he's threatening to bite that's what he's doing so we should take that ability away so um put them in a basket muzzle then your breathing and your line handling are going to be much easier for you to do because you're less worried. Um, I'm always less worried if the dog in my care on my walk is in a basket muzzle and we do encounter somebody because I know that um, is very unlikely that she's going to be able to get herself um, or me for that matter in trouble because she's wearing the muzzle. Um, I had a recent experience where this dog in particular uh, was off leash. I had kind of broken one of my rules and let her run down the trail in an area where I couldn't see anyone. And the reason I did was because there was no one in the park. There were no other cars in the parking lot. And it was a very weird time of day to see anybody. And um, I'm just going to own it that that was a mistake because lo and behold, she did come across some people at the river, which is what we were headed for. Um... And she alarm barked them and kind of charged at them. And that was scary and upsetting for everybody. But nobody got hurt and nobody was going to get hurt um, because her weapon was taken from her. And it could have been a different situation if she weren't wearing the muzzle. Now, I think a lot of people would argue you probably wouldn't have let her run down the line, run down the trail without the muzzle on. So maybe the muzzle isn't such a great idea. And the answer to that is just that we are all human, including me. And so if I can safeguard myself against my dog hurting um, a person or another dog, you know, quote unquote, by accident, or maybe even on purpose, then I'm going to do it. So condition your dogs to a muzzle and don't spend so much time on that process that you don't get the dog out. So people will say to me, you know, the muzzle conditioning is not perfect yet. Um, what, you know, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? I need this dog to go out. And 
for me, huge part, I just introduce the dog to the muzzle. So it's not a scary thing. And then I start using it and the dog starts to associate it with walks. And that pretty much does the job for me. And that means that they may paw at the muzzle here and there. And I don't stress myself out about that too much. If the dog is clearly in distress, that's different from the dog is saying, you know, what is this itchy thing on my face? Oh, oh, well, we're running down the trail now. So I'll do that. Um, Very different. So if we do all this, if we get really good at breathing when we see those triggers, handling, handling the line so that um, the dog can't overpower us on the line, using a muzzle so that if the dog does get away from us or if we do run into a situation we can't control, nobody's going to get hurt, um, then we can get out there and we can do what I call healing by doing. Dog can get out. Dog can experience other dogs, people walking and this is very healing i know more than one dog whose reactivity has been calmed simply by doing this um including some of my own iggy used to be very very barky lungy snappy at other dogs when we saw them on the trail and through a few years of doing this type of walking religiously um where i'm breathing and i'm not freaking out and none of my other dogs are freaking out she has become just one of the most dog social, most dog savvy dogs that I've ever seen. And I always knew her to be very dog savvy, which is why these big behaviors from her when a dog surprised us on the trail were so shocking and upsetting and hard for me. Um, but she's just so much better now. She's just so much more able now to cope and kind of deal with herself and deal with her feelings Um, and I attribute that to just healing by doing, just getting out and doing it and realizing no one's going to die. Um, nobody kind of likes, nobody likes that answer. Everybody kind of wants me to, um, prescribe a protocol. This is my protocol. Get out there and show the dog they're not going to die in the real world. Um, of course, keeping everybody safe is paramount. And if you don't feel like you can control your dog, you know, maybe it's a big German shepherd or something on the long line, then don't do it or use more remote places or, you know, use your judgment. I'm not saying that this is a one size fits all. I'm saying that it has worked well for me and it has worked well for my dogs and for a lot of my clients and my friends. And these are just ways that um, we can make it easier, I think. So tell me about your stories of healing by doing. Tell me about your reactivity struggles. If we want to talk more about this, we definitely can. Um, Hop over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and I will see you there. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.